Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. If you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 1. And as you're turning to Matthew chapter 1, I don't want to distract you, but I do want to ask you a question. What is your favorite Christmas movie? A Christmas story? Christmas vacation? Elf? Home Alone? Now, next question, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Yes. Yes, okay. Okay, there's, there, that, that's, that's hotly debated in, in political circles right now. So, <laughs> you know, um, so there are movies we like, right? Um, how many of y'all like the old ones? The ones that are like, like Miracle on 34th Street, Wonderful Life, White Christmas. Um, what's, what's that? I don't know if I've seen that one before. Is there anybody here that is um, is not a Christian and likes Hallmark movies? I'm joking. I'm joking. You, you're you're allowed to like Hallmark movies. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can still love Jesus and love Hallmark movies. Um, so we all have you know, movies. There's, there's for me. There's one movie I have to watch in order to usher in the the, the Christmas season, and it's uh, it's uh, Christmas Vacation. So I'm saving the best for last. That's next week. But we've been talking about kind of some popular Christmas movies. Started it last week. And we talked about a Christmas story, which it was a little ironic because we had like four or five, at least four that I can think of, of our youth group people in the play A Christmas Story. But their tech rehearsal was on Wednesday. So the ones that were in A Christmas Story had to miss youth group when we had A Christmas Story. So, but anyway. Um, we had a leg lamp up here and everything, guys. Um, so, so, but um, we talked about Christmas story. We're gonna um, tonight. We're gonna talk about Home Alone. Anybody here like just a diehard Home Alone fan? Yeah. So we're gonna talk about Home Alone, and then next week is is, is Christmas Vacation. So, 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 so last week when we were talking about a Christmas story, we talked about gifts, right? Not gifs, but gifts. And, um, you know, we talked about how God gives good gifts. The greatest gift he ever gave was the Holy Spirit, and he sent Jesus to give us that gift. We were in Galatians chapter 4. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about um, God, how God uses some very unlikely people to do things for him. Um, you ever feel, you know, this is not answer out loud questions. I mean, you can if you want, but I don't think you'll want to. Um, but do you ever feel like a failure? Like... You know, you ever have like one of those days and you feel like a failure? You ever feel like there's, there's something wrong with you? Like everybody else around you is normal and you're the weird one. Like you're the one that just, you know, it's not like you don't like people that are around you. But you just, you feel like you don't fit in. You don't know how to start conversations. This, this is me, by the way. You don't know you think you fit in. You don't know how to start conversations. Well, tonight we're going to talk about a Christmas, uh, not a Christmas story, about Home Alone, Home Alone. Poor Kevin just doesn't fit in with his family, does he? So much so that they forget about it. So let's watch this clip from Home Alone, and then we'll, um, we'll keep going. Yeah. 
So, um, Kevin didn't exactly fit in, and uh, you know, one of my, I don't say favorite lines, but a line that kind of sticks out to me is when his, un- what's his uncle's name? I can never remember that one. Uncle, yeah, Frank. He goes, look what you did, you little jerk! You know, and maybe somebody hasn't said that exactly in that way to you. I hope not. That would be terrible. Um, but maybe you feel like that. You, you feel like you've failed before, you, you, you've messed up, and you feel like God, and you feel like others are looking at you in their own way saying, look what you did, you little jerk. Yeah, and you feel like a failure, you feel like you don't fit in, um, and you just feel totally inadequate. And then you come to church, and you have this, this weird guy that has a man crush on Sylvester Stallone stand in front of you and tell you that God wants to use you. And you think, oh, Matt, that must mean God wants to use the real super churchy people that do all the right things and they check all the boxes and they dot all the I's and they've never messed up in their life. Well, first off, that's a false assumption because you'd be surprised what the things that people hold on to, um, the things that people are ashamed of, even that put on this perfect little church persona. I'm proof positive. Um, so, um, but, but you, you think, can God really use me? Like, I mean, I know God can use John. Yeah, John is this like gifted apologist and he, yeah, he's real intellectual, but God can't use me. And you think that God using you is reserved for people who are like in this upper echelon of Christianity and who go to every like Winter Jam concert or something and keep Caleb bumper stickers on their car. And, and, and the big point tonight that I want you to get, what I've learned is if I say something often enough, loud enough, you get it. So this is the thing I'm going to say often and loud this week, is that God can use anyone, anytime, anywhere. Just so I know you're still with me, I want you to say it with me. God can use anyone, anytime, anywhere. Now look at the person next to you, wag your finger in their face and say it. God can use anyone, anytime, anywhere. Okay? So, don't hit each other. (laughs) Okay. God can use anyone, anytime, anywhere. Where are we going to go to to discover this? We're going to go to Matthew. And I want to start in Matthew chapter 1, verse 17. And this is what you do when you're studying the Bible sometimes. You zoom in to a passage and you read it. And if it doesn't totally make sense or you feel like there's more to the story, you kind of zoom out and read the words that are around it. So this is what we're going to zoom in and we're going to zoom out. Matthew chapter 17, or Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, is this is what it says. There were 14 generations from Abraham to David. 
14 generations from David to the exile and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. You may say, oh, Matt, I've, you know, amen, let's go home, I'm blessed. <laughs> now, now we're going to zoom out and we're going to look at the people that were in the, these 14 by 14 by 14, how much is 14 times 3? Because I don't do math, I went to grace. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm joking, by the way, about grace. Uh, I'm a lot of joke about it. I went there. 42? 42. So, there are 42 generations between Abraham, who we see in Genesis 12, and Jesus. Here's a couple interesting things as we, we zoom out. Don't go to the next slide quite yet. But what I want you to look at, see, you see that on the screen here, it's this list of names. So, yeah, and this is one of the, yes, this is where, where you get bogged down in your Bible reading sometimes is when you read these lists of names, so-and-so, we got so-and-so, we got so-and-so. But in these lists of names is something that's very interesting. In the first century, in the Middle East, how much respect do you think women got? How much respect do they get now in the Middle East? So imagine 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. Women weren't even considered to be legally allowed to own, like, property back then. So when they have this, you know, when people would do, like, trace their ancestry, uh, you're too young to care about that. When you get old, you get excited about ancestry or whatever, but it's like a rite of passage. But um, when you trace it back, you would only find records of the men in your family. You wouldn't find records of the women in your family. Which, that's a disgrace, isn't it? That's terrible that life was like that back then. So when you look at Matthew, which was written, it was written by Matthew, inspired by God in the first century. What's really interesting and what surprises you at first is that you'll notice there are five women in this ancestry line that are listed. If you were, to, if you were a first century um, Middle Eastern person and you uh, put your turban on and went on a walk and discovered this list... You would be shocked. I mean, you'd be surprised. It would be interesting to you. Why did they include women in this genealogy? And then if you did a little more research and you found out who those women were and what they did and how a lot of them had screwed up their lives, you would think, okay, if this is supposed to build the case for Jesus being the Messiah, you know, and say Miley Cyrus is in your lineage, you know, you probably wouldn't include that, right? <laughs> right? You probably wouldn't include Miss Wrecking Ball in your lineage. Well, you, you see here, and you can go to the next slide, you see here highlighted the names of five women who were in Jesus' line. And we learn a story about each of these five women, and it's the same story, and it's the story that is that God can use anyone, anywhere, anytime. So let's look at the first three women. Um, and the first three women, they show us that God can use anyone. I've got a picture up here of Mark Sanchez. How many of you are familiar with, it lives in NFL infamy, it's called the butt fumble. I think that's the next slide, yeah. The butt fumble. So, <laughs> poor Mark, this, this, this started his descent into football irrelevancy. They were playing the Patriots on Thanksgiving Day. He's running with the ball. He runs into the butt of his own player and his, his, the butt of his own player detaches the ball from his hands, and the Patriots scoop it up and return it for a touchdown. And if you Google, I mean, you, gotta be, you always got to be careful when you Google things, right? But if you Google butt fumble, you're going to see a picture of Mark Sanchez. Ever since that 
season, he's been usually a second string, and this year he's a third string player for the Redskins, and he actually got some playing time last week because their first string and second string were down. But all that to say, if you're a football buff, and somebody says Mark Sanchez, the first thing you think is, oh yeah, buff humble. Yeah. So, these three women we're going to talk about here, when we talk about how God can use anyone, when you would say their name in this Jewish nation and context, the first thing people would say is, oh, Tamar. She was the one that slept with her father-in-law. Oh, Rahab, the prostitute. Oh, Uriah's wife, the one that cheated on her husband with the king. You see what I mean? Their sins followed them. And they became known for who they were. Look at the first one. It says, when Judah, we're, we're looking at verse 3. So Abraham was the father of Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez, Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Interesting story about Tamar that we're not going to get into um, that deep. We're not going to do a full exegetical study on this one. Um, because there's some, some, some words that uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say or not. But um, here's, here's the skinny on Tamar. You can, you can go to Genesis 38 and read the rest later. But here, here's the story on Tamar. Judah, if you know a little backstory of Judah, he sold his brother into slavery. <laughs> Strike one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Strike one. So, yeah, how many of y'all would like to sell your brother into slavery? Um, he sells his brother into slavery. He feels so bad he leaves his country that God told him to stay in. He goes to um, Udala which is a country back then, and he starts getting involved in their pagan, like, idol worship. He has a son, and his son, he finds a, a woman from Udala named Tamar, and he says, here, I'm going to fix you guys up. You guys get married, you know, have a great life together, have children. So they get married, and the Bible doesn't say why, but it says that, um, that Tamar's husband was very evil in God's eyes, and God struck him dead. So Tamar's husband passes away. They don't have any kids together. This is, it was weird times back then, and this, this was the logical thought back then was, well, if, if her husband passed away, what we'll do is have her marry her husband's brother, and she can have a child with her husband's brother, and that child will be attributed to, not to the one that she had the kid with, but with the brother. Aren't you glad to live in America? Uh, <laughs> so she, she gets married to this to the brother, or not get married, but you know, they try to have kids together, and let's just say the brother makes sure that they ain't going to have any kids, you know, um, in ways that you'd learn about in health class probably. So they, don't, you know, so they don't have kids, and then he dies. God strikes him dead. You're starting to notice a pattern here. She, she not only came from a bad part of town, she was involved in a really bad family. And so, so Judah, the dad of these brothers who were all evil, says to Tamar, she says, I've got one more son, but he's only 10, and I don't want him having babies with you quite yet. Which is surprising, because he made bad decisions every other time, but he actually made... So, he's like, when he gets old enough, you know, you guys can have a baby together. How'd you like to be that kid, you know? <laughs> he talk about pressure. So, the kid gets old enough, and the dad changes his mind. Judah changes his mind. I said, I'm not going to let you have a baby with my son. But here's the problem. This was injustice, because back then, if you didn't have a male heir in your family... All the belongings and all the money and all the fortune that belonged to her, her past husband who had passed away didn't go to her when he died. It went back to Judah. 
So she had no money. She had nothing until she had a child by somebody in her passed away husband's family line. So she takes matters into her own hands. She knows Judah is going on a trip. She dresses up like a prostitute, puts a veil over her head, stands by the side of the road, propositions Judah, her father-in-law, doesn't know it's her. She gets pregnant with twins. And then she's like, hey, Judah, guess what? (laughs) I figured it out. And that was her story. The Bible never says that she repented of what she did. The Bible never says she made it right. The Bible never even says she regretted it. Although I'm sure she did because her name in Genesis 38 is forever tied into this story of just deception and immorality. But God used her as a great grandmother to Jesus and thought enough to put her name in the lineage in which women weren't supposed to be a part of. God can use anyone. What about Rahab? If you look back, we're, you know, obviously we don't have time to study each of these ladies in depth. If you look back to Joshua 2, it says her name is Rahab, comma, the prostitute. You're like, do you introduce yourself that way? Is that how it works? Like, hi, I'm Rahab, the prostitute. Like, like, but um, you, that, that, what I'm saying is that's what she was known for. And her story is a little different than Tamar because her story ends with her accepting Jesus Christ putting her faith in Christ, looking ahead to when he would come, and her being saved through her faith. Hebrews chapter 11 talks about that. Because um, Rahab does something very special. She, she hides Jewish spies who are coming to take over Jericho. Remember Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Yeah. And you know, marched around the city seven times. That, that was her. She was the one who single-handedly saved this, this nation and looked out for this nation. God said, because of that... I'm going to use you two ways. First off, I'm going to let you live. She was the only one in Jericho, only Canaanite in Jericho who lived when the Israelites came in. Second, I'm going to let you be part of the line of Christ. She married a man named Salmon, not Salmon, Salmon, and they had a child together. And that child had a kid, and he had a kid. Well, the child didn't have a kid, but, you know, the child grew up, had a kid, and the young grew up, had a kid, you know how it works. And eventually, Jesus. So she's in that line. Another one who's in that line is a woman named Bathsheba. When I say the name Bathsheba, what do you think? A demon. Well, she's, she's not a demon. I think about bath because David saw her taking a bath. He lusted after her. And he said to one of his guards, he said, go bring me that woman. He knew she was married. He said, go bring me that woman. Um, we don't know all the details of how David and Bathsheba cheated on her husband who was away at a, fighting a war. Um, Back then, if, you're, if, if, if the king tells you to do something, you generally don't have much of a, of a say about it. It's very likely, and I mean, a, a, lot of, a lot of Bible scholars have noted, it's very likely that Bathsheba was sexually assaulted, that she didn't have a choice. But her name is always tied in with the adultery, the adultery, the adultery. But Bathsheba had a child. You know what his name was? Solomon. He's kind of a popular king if you read your Bible. And, and Solomon had a kid, or, and then that kid grew up and had a kid, grew up had a kid. Jesus. Why did God think enough to put Bathsheba, someone who had really messed up, someone whose name is synonymous with adultery, why did he put, put her in the line of Christ and almost 
brag about it by inserting the name of a woman who women don't usually go in these things. Because I think God wants us to know he can use anyone, anywhere, anytime. So God can use anyone. The next, God can use anyone, anywhere. Look at Ruth. See it, it's in verse uh, 5. It says, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Um, Ruth came from a place called Moab. Moab was, a, was an evil place. Um, I, we had a, that was a couple weeks, it was last year, before homecoming, I was talking with our small group. Um, back when we had small, a small group on Monday and was talking about homecoming coming up. And I told them, I said, now listen, don't you be going down to Moab. You know what I mean by that? Where do you think Moab is at homecoming? It's that real tight circle of people dancing. Some of you are smiling because you know what I'm talking about. Is that re- <laughs> it's that real tight circle that even the teachers are not, you know, wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And I said, Look, don't go down to, I called it Moab because I was like, yeah, in the Bible, Moab was known as a place of incest. It was known as a, it was known as a place of just the, the worst kind of sinning. Ruth's husband was an Israelite. He moved down, his, his dad moved them all down to Moab to, um, to escape a famine. Um, he, she meets her husband. Her husband dies. <laughs> starting to pick up a pattern here. Her husband's brother dies. This time, the father dies too, so she can't pull the Tamar. Um, and it's just her and her mother-in-law. And they decide to go back to Judah. And when they get back to Judah, they have no money to their name, remember? Only men could have money back then. And she meets this guy named Boaz. There's a really funny meme about Boaz and finding a man online. I'll talk about that later. But um, she meets this guy named Boaz. And he marries her. He becomes what's called in the Bible her kinsman redeemer. They have a son together. And that son was the grandfather of King David. And she's in there. She, she's one that we find that there's, there's not necessarily anything that she did wrong. Like we don't see her, like we, she's not known for her sin. She's known for coming from an area where sin abounded. And you know, when, when I think about that, I think about our poor area here that we're in. That's been like kind of riddled with drugs, um, where people deal with a lot. And I think, I've heard people say it before, like people, you know, they just need to bulldoze over Huntington. They just need to, you know, they, they just need to flatten, you know, this area of West Virginia because nothing good's going to happen out of here. But then I thought about this kid that all he wanted was a lamp for Christmas so he could do homework because when it's 530 and the light goes down, he can't do his homework anymore. And I thought about how last week we thought it was so funny to have this novelty leg lamp on stage. And it was. And we had fun with it. But then you've got a kid who... Who's in middle school is your age, who they kill for a leg lamp because that would mean they could do homework. Uh, so it got me thinking: if God can use Boaz or if God can use Ruth from Moab, can He use us in Huntington? And what if we get that kid, that boy? He's not a kid; he's your age. That boy, that light. It not only illuminates his homework, but it points him to the light of the world. The Bible says, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God can use anyone, anywhere. If he can use someone from Moab, he can use someone from Huntington. He can use someone from Barbersville. He can use someone from 
Salt Rock. Anybody live in Salt Rock? You know, I always try to give a shout out to my Salt Rockers. We don't have any salt. He can use somebody in Milton. He, rumor has it, he can even use people in Ohio. Nah, that's a joke. <laughs> you know I got to pick on you guys. Um, he'll use you whether or not Urban Meyer's your coach or not. You know? No, but just because you come from an area that's a flyover area does not mean God doesn't want to do huge things through your life. God wants to use you. He can use anyone, anywhere. And then the final person we're, we're going to come to is Mary. Um, we find her in verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, and the husband of Mary, or the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. It's really interesting. You know, most of the pictures I see of Mary, they, they show her as like this, like this woman, you know, who you know, looks like, She's going through a middle-aged crisis or something. Um, Most scholars believe that Mary was between the ages of 15 and 16. How many of you ladies are between the age of 15 and 16? Just curious. Like, Carson, you're not a lady. (laughs) What? what, what? (laughs) We'll we'll do that lesson next week. Um, um, But um, I'm just joking with you, man. Um, But when, um, imagine if God, God came to one of you guys. And it's like, listen, <laughs> you're pregnant with the Son of God. <laughs> you know, what would you say? <laughs> you're like, God, maybe you should have like impregnated Mary Poppins. You know? Because she knows how to take care of kids. You know? Uh, you know, you're or, or, or like some like motherly person. I'm like a teenager. Like 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 I wear like vans and I don't do anything motherly at all. Like, I'm never going to change a diaper. Never have, never will. God, are you sure? Like, you want to use, you want to use me. Mary wasn't just a teenager. Uh, she was going through a very difficult period of her life. It says that she was engaged to be married. Back then, the way engagements work, be glad, once again, you live in the good old U.S. of A., is when you were kids, your, your two sets of parents would get together and be like, okay, I'm going to have you... They, they would approach, you know, the, the dad would approach the other dad and be like, I'd like for my son to marry your daughter and, you know, livestock would be exchanged and after that, you know, you just always know, hey, I'm going to marry uh, Sally, you know? Um, you, know I, you know, Sally and I are going to get married. That's just what it is. I don't, I don't, it's not something, I don't date, I don't get to choose anybody. I, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to swipe left, swipe right or anything like that. I just have to, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm stuck with this person so I best, better make the best of it. So there was, there was a, um, there was the pledge, then there was the engagement process where they would have this big party when they turned 12, and then usually the marriage would happen sometimes between 15 and 16. So imagine knowing you're going to be married in like a year, and you've got your wedding planned out. I mean, you've got the dress with the lace, and you know, you, you know what your bouquet's going to look like, and you know who all your bridesmaids are going to be. You girl, have you girls already have all this planned out? You just don't have a man, you know? But, but you know... <laughs> You know, imagine her. She's got a man. She's getting married in a year. She's planning it out. And she just wishes she would get through this year. Like some of you seniors. You're like, just get me out of this year, right? That's her. And then all of a sudden, this big kink happens in her plans. Mary, you're pregnant. The Holy Spirit got you pregnant. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to explain that to my fiance. Hey, the Holy Spirit got me pregnant. You know, and you're like, and Joseph's like, are you sure it was the Holy Spirit or was it old Jehoshaphat down the road? You know, like, like, but here, here's, here's the thing. Mary was your age. 
Mary was in an in-between stage in life, just like you are. You know, some of you, you know, you, you're learning to drive, which is scary to you and your parents. You know, you're, you're making almost like adult-type decisions. You know, you're going between classes, and you have to be responsible for your books, your locker code, all this stuff. You're in this in-between stage, right? You're not a kid anymore. You're not an adult yet, and you're in this in-between stage. You think, once I get older, God can use me. Once I get my driver's license, God can use me. Once I get out of high school, God can use me. God wants to use you right now because God can use anyone anytime, anywhere. And Mary is proof of that, that God loves to work through teenagers. Um, God loves to work through teenagers. I think my final slide, I have a picture of a couple weeks ago when we had our Thanksgiving dinner. Um, you guys know you said, we, we had this challenge, right? Bring a friend, you bring somebody to hear the gospel. And, and we set a refuel record that night because you, so many of you invited your friends. We had 163 teenagers there at our Thanksgiving dinner. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that awesome? That that many people got to hear about Jesus? Don't tell me that God doesn't want to use you. Don't tell me that God can't use you. He used Tamar, right? He used Bathsheba. He used Rahab the prostitute. He used Ruth the Moabite. And he used Mary the teenager. God can use anyone, anywhere, anytime. What's the point of the lesson? Anywhere, anytime. Add another uh, Christmas story clip, but we're not going to be, or a Home Alone clip, we're not going to be able to play it. I want to tell you about the two things we're working on this Christmas season. We're working on telling and we're working on treasuring. What what should our response be to a God like this? Response be to a God that can use anyone. Well, the first is tell people. We have the great opportunity to tell some backpack kids about Jesus this Christmas. This is not just to give gifts to feel good about yourself. People's lives can be changed by this. We've literally seen middle school students put their faith in Jesus because of these gifts. So what I'm asking you to do is go all in on this. What I'm asking you to do is when we dismiss here, we're dismissing a couple minutes early. This table back here, there's going to be people that will give you a a gift that you can get for for, for a backpack kid. I want you to adopt a backpack kid. Going to give you, we'll give you two weeks to shop for that kid. And then on the 19th, we're going to have a big packing party where we pack all these gifts. It's going to be a lot of fun. But it's our way to tell the story of Jesus that night. Next thing we need to do is we need to treasure. Uh, we need to treasure the gift of Jesus. Uh, it says Mary pondered all these things in her heart after he, she had Jesus. Um, when's the last time you really believed what God says? And you really believe that God can use you? Some of you went to that mission trip meeting. You're like, I just don't know if I can do that. It's way out of my league, way out of my comfort zone. I don't know that I can do that. God can use anyone, anytime, anywhere. Trust God's grace in your life. You think you screwed it up? Yeah, you probably did screw it up. But guess what? That's the reason Jesus came. That's the reason we have Christmas is because you screwed it up and because I screwed it up. Because God offers forgiveness. So maybe you just need to ask God for forgiveness tonight. Trust that he can forgive and that he can use you. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to, um, we're going to dismiss. We di- we're dismissing five minutes early, so you'll have time. This, that, ta- that table right back there, there are going to be three people sitting back there um, to, to get you signed up. So just see one of those three people. Um, but let's all bow our head. We're not going to do the middle tonight, because um, I'm still not feeling the best, and I don't want to, I mean, the middle's supposed to be a blessing, not a contamination. Uh, <laughs> so we'll get back to the middle next week. But let's pray, and then after we pray, um, we'll dismiss you, dismiss you guys to... To, to sign up for your gifts. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for bringing us together. Uh, thank you that you can use us. Uh, sometimes it's hard for us to believe. It's hard for me to believe that you would use someone like me who's just, just really not the best at anything. 
Uh, so God, I, I trust you. Uh, I trust that, I'll, that, that, that when I give you what little I have, that you will multiply it and do great things with it. I ask the same for each teenager. Um, that they may not bring much to the table, but what they bring is their availability. And that you'll take those gifts for these backpack kids and you'll take their availability and you'll do bigger things that we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel Podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.